We're getting ready to draft everybody. So how many are in a life group? Raise your hand if you are in an active life. That's yeah, you would, you would. Wednesday night would be that, okay. But uh, uh, the majority of the church is not in a life group, meaning they have no connection relationally outside of that Sunday morning. So um, uh, are you alone, Erica? Because you, you, you're just sitting there all by yourself. And anyone sitting alone, if you see somebody sitting alone, people sitting alone distract me. I can't think. See, I just forgot what I was saying. So you see somebody sitting alone, scooch over next to them. You know what I mean? Don't let anyone sit alone. Except for Johnny. Johnny can sit alone. We don't. <laughs> Johnny said, I'm leaving. Uh, what was I saying? I was saying something. Oh, life group. If you're not in a life group, we want to register you for a life group. That's why we want your information. Because what we're going to do is we're going to draft everyone in here. Every person. Like it or not, we're going to be your friends. We're going to be friends. We're going to be friends. <laughs> He said, I don't like you. I don't want to be your friend. I don't care. We're going to be friends, all right? We're going to be friends. Uh, well, if you don't, and then if you don't like them, if you don't like them, we'll put you in a life group you do like, all right? That's the deal. We're, but we are going to draft every person. We're looking for 100% participation, uh, involvement, engaged. Every person in the church is relationally connected. Last thing we want to have happen is one of us drift off into uh, isolation and uh, that's dangerous. It's dangerous to kind of do your own thing. And, you know, it's just dangerous. Uh, that's why Jesus had to leave 99 to go find one. He loves you that much. And so we don't, we, we don't want that to happen to our congregation. We want to connect everybody relationally. So register. Uh, let's receive this evening's tithe and offering. Uh, as we do tonight, I just want to say thank you for continuing to support this ministry. You allow us to reach so many with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe in this ministry, I just want to say thank you for supporting it. If you don't believe in this ministry, uh, you should because uh, God's hand is upon it. Thank you. Thank you for that. You can argue with many things, but you cannot argue with the anointing. Wasn't it uh, anointed in here on Sunday night? It was so anointed in here on Sunday night. Ashley, uh, Pastor Ashley, where'd she go, man? She, she was on something else on Sunday night. It was amazing. So uh, thank you for that. We're getting really close to our one million, one million uh, mark. We wanted to give one million back to our congregation. We're getting really, really close. And uh, thank you for partnering with us to do that. That helps us reach so many, uh, not just to preach the gospel, but to actually live the gospel is what we're doing. So thank you so much for that. As we receive it tonight, I just want you to hold it up before the Lord as we pray for it and bless it. Father, thank you for every gift and every giver in the house tonight. We sow this monetary amount as a dollar, but we reap it like heaven. I declare heaven, heaven to every home, uh, Lord, tonight. We thank you for the word does not return void, but accomplish and prosper. We thank you that as it comes to us, we can expect the promises of God to manifest in a mighty way. Bless your name tonight with it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your Bible. Go with me tonight to Proverbs 22, verse 28. They're going to put that on the screen for you. It's a, it's, this is a very interesting uh, passage of Scripture. Um, it's, it's, in re, it's in regard to covetousness uh, that God is dealing with here. And... Um, but, it, but it's so much deep. It's, it's so much deeper than that. Um, so, you, you know, God said here in the scripture, he said, Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Uh, so the, the landmark is really is like the fence of God. He's like, hey, look, you, you've got this much that I've allotted to you. Now don't encroach upon what belongs to your neighbor. Because God knew that within each of us, there would be this propensity to want what does not belong to us. That's in your heart, whether you know it or not. There, there is in your heart this, this proclivity to reach outside of what is assigned to you and, and go into what has not been assigned to you. And if you want to take that just a step further... What God is saying here is, I, ha I have a backyard that I have fenced in for my people. It's like my backyard. Have you ever seen these backyards, uh, these yards, with the invisible fences? 
These are deceptive. Let me tell you, if, you know, there should be a sign or something there. Because I'll be walking down the road and, and I'll have my, my earbuds in. And I'll just be in my own world and I'll just be walking. And suddenly a dog will launch off of the porch and run to me like it's going to bite me. And, I, you know, and then you scream like a girl. Ah! But right before it gets to you, it hits, the, it hits the, the, the invisible fence. There's an invisible fence. And God, God has a backyard. It, there is an invisible fence. There is a law. There is a law of morality. And, it, and, the, and the backyard of God does not exist. See, the boundary line that God has created for believers does not exist to restrict us. The boundary line of God that exists is there to bless us and protect us. Because everything we need that is given to us is in the backyard of God. And God said, now make sure you don't go moving the fence. Make sure that you respect and honor the ancient landmarks that were established by the early church, by what, so the precedence of Jesus, the precedence of the early church, and the precedence of the word. Pay close attention to the landmarks, the boundary line, the backyard, the fence of God. And don't try to move it. Don't try, don't try to just, you know what, I want to encroach upon. I just want to push it a little bit that way. I know God said, I know God said not to steal. But let's put a loophole in that. Let's push it to the left just slightly so we can move the landmark so we can have, we can have what is outside of the assignment of God to us. In Deuteronomy 27, verse 17, look at what it says. It says, cursed is the one. Deuteronomy 27, 17 says, cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. So the moment the church attempts in any way to extend the boundary line of God beyond what he already set, the Bible says, the moment you do that, you're in dangerous territory. If God said that marriage is between a man and a woman, then we as the church are restricted to the boundary line that God has set in the earth. And the moment we attempt to push it over or to extend it slightly or to change it or to alter it, the moment we do that, we invite danger and destruction into our lives. I have this little chihuahua. That's right, I have. This is my second chihuahua. It's about this big and it loves me. Her name is Coco. And Coco doesn't know. Coco one day got out of the out of the house and ran into the backyard. And my neighbor at that time had a Rottweiler. How many know that the Chihuahua ain't got no business messing around? With no Chihuahua, no 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 Rottweiler, no Rottweiler. He, but Coco doesn't know. She's a she's a Chihuahua. <laughs> she thinks she's something else. Coco jumped off the porch, just took off after that. <laughs> and that and that that I think the Rottweiler was stunned. He looked. He said, "Look at this little thing. What's going on here?" The Rottweiler just stuck his foot, just looking at it. 
We're the chihuahua in the story here. And the moment we run off the porch and think we, we can cross the boundary line in, into the neighbor's, into outside of the restricted area of God, the moment we do that, well, we invite the enemy to pounce. You are outside, you're out of bounds. You, it, the, the scriptures very clearly say, if you, if you cross the line, you are not protected any longer. The backyard of God doesn't exist to restrict you. It exists to bless you. The boundary line that God has set in the earth is not there to, to rob us of pleasures that are on the other side of the fence. The boundary lines that exist are there to protect us. Because on the other side of the fence is a Rottweiler named Satan. And he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. God said, look, just stay in the backyard. It's an invisible fence. And we think because it's invisible that, that we can compromise, nudge it over an inch or two, and not be in danger. But God's put this Holy Spirit within each of us that tells us the moment we step outside of God's area. This Holy Spirit will bring conviction to you and tell you, you better get back on the other side of the fence, son. So I want to talk tonight about rediscovering the early church. It's a whole series that I, I plan on taking all the way through the year. And uh, this is only my second part of it. So I just want to read some scriptures for you um, to further support the idea of God's backyard. Jeremiah 6.16 says this. It says, thus says the Lord, stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. There's an area assigned by God. There's a way, there's a path that is assigned by God, and there's a path. Jesus said there's a, a narrow gate in Matthew 7. He said there's a narrow gate, and there's a wide gate. There's a, there's a path for my people, and there is a path that is not for my people. There are many who go the broad way, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And few Find it. Jesus said that. He said, few find it. Why? Why? Is it because, is it because it's, it's not available to it? No, it's there. It's just, I mean, everybody's doing it, God. I mean, why, why can't we do it? Why can't we have a drink? Why can't I go there? How come I can't say that? How come? And Jesus said, there are many who will find the Broadway. There are few who will stay in the narrow way. Second Timothy says this. It says, you should know this, that in the last days, it's going to get perilous. We are there. <laughs> we are. We're all up in peril right now. If <laughs> you wanted to know what peril looks like, smells like, sounds like, we're in peril right now. And then he goes on a list, like, you know, what that looks like. So, so somebody moved the fence, right? We know that somebody moved the fence because how did the murder of the unborn become legal? When God said, what did God say? God said life is sacred, but somehow we have born again, professing believers, standing in the Broadway, standing on the other side of the fence saying, abortion is a woman's right. It's a civil right. We literally have, we have born again believers on the back. They've moved the fence and said, no, 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 no. 
If Jesus were here today, he would say, it's okay. How did we get here? <laughs> How did we get here, guys? We got here because, because the church... The church moved the fence. Not the world. It wasn't the world that moved it. We can't blame Joe Biden, Donald Trump. We can't blame them, man. We are the ones who are the watchmen of the wall, and we stood by while unjust laws were passed. We stood by while the morality of God was violated and we remained silent. And we said that, and we covered our, we, we told everyone we were silent because we, we masked our silence with, and we said we were being kind. In reality, we were being cowards. We were being cowards. I'm saying we. I'm, I'm putting myself. We, we, the church. If, if the church, see, it's the church. The church is the one who establishes the moral law, the invisible fence. It's the church that establishes that. It's not the world. It's not the laws of man that establish the invisible fence of the moral law of God that governs the heart of man. That's not the government. That's not the Supreme Court. That's the high court of heaven that, that declares that. And because we as the church allowed the fence to be nudged slightly to the left and slightly, and now, well, how did a divorce become normal? But it's normalized. How did swipe left, swipe right? How did the culture, how did we get here, man? How did we get to the point where you could pick up your phone and you could, you could order sex? Yo, something's wrong. You say, well, that's not us. We were the ones to, we are the agent, we are the ambassadors of heaven. We are the ones who establish the boundary lines. And if we compromise, if we compromise an inch, the world will take it 10 million miles. And they have. And they have. And we sit outraged today that six million unborn died today. And we're outraged. But we let the ancient landmarks, we permitted the, the movement of the fence of God while we were, while it was our watch. We know it's been moved because I, I, I smell weed everywhere now. Yo, man, I'm driving down the highway and I'm like, it's, it's eight in the morning, y'all. You should not be smoking weed. You should be asleep. You smoking weed, you should be sleeping. But you'll drive, you'll, I'll wake up eight, eight in the morning, go somewhere, going down the highway. Smell like sweet, sticky weed right now. How is this? I'm sorry, guys. I wasn't always saved. Wasn't always saved. So that's why y'all know. That's why I know. They just passed. My mom over there, she said, you never did that. That's right, mama. I never did that. Never did that. That's right. I never did that. Old things have passed away. Did not. So let's talk about the fence. Let's, let's move the fence back. And tonight I, I want to talk about this thing called progressive Christianity. You can, <laughs> you, it was in the 90s, it was created, it was, it was 
it was created in order to accommodate lives of, of compromise within the fellowship of believers. That, that's basically what it boils down to. But you could go do all the studying of that. But, <clears throat> but progressive Christianity, uh, what I do want to say about it is that progressive, progressive Christianity is, is really doing damage to the kingdom today. And it's really, it's really hurting these right here. These right here. It's really sending a message of confusion to a younger generation uh, that would suggest that, that the text can be translated or interpreted by feelings or emotions or opinions. That truth is subjective. And this is what progressive Christianity does. But I want to say it uh, really clearly that biblical Christianity is comprehensive Christianity. It, it, biblical Christianity is found from, gen, look at me, look at me, I'll tell you. Biblical Christianity is found, found from Genesis to Revelation. You, it is not found in one passage of Scripture. Biblical Christianity is comprehensive. So we check the text by the text. We check the Bible by the Bible. We don't allow ourselves even to justify our opinions, our feelings, or our positions because we find a sliver of text that supports where we stand momentarily. Uh, Ravi Zacharias used to say this, and I, I, I've, I've since embraced it. He says that a text without a context is at best a pretext. So a text without context, a text without other scriptures to reinforce it, to support it, to, to structurally put it together, to make it make sense in the gospel of Jesus, a text that does not confirm the witness of Jesus is not a text. It's a pretext. And so we've gotten to this heretical place where a progressive I, I can't even say it. I throw up in my mouth a little bit. Because how do you progress beyond the cross? How, how, do, we, how do we improve beyond the sacrifice and the atonement of Jesus? What more? So what, what do we have more to offer? to the gospel than Christ, him crucified. This is it. Biblical Christianity is confirmed by the text, not feelings. <laughs> you can feel however you want. You can be wrong as you feel that way. And there is a hope majority of the population of our nation of our world I would say that is in their feels and believe because they feel a thing that that means that the thing they feel is truth the only truth that exists is that bible that's sitting in your lap that's it the truth the truth if we want to know truth and here's you say why you why because you must, we must go back to this. The church has to go back to this. We can't get caught up in, in, in conversations of philosophy, feelings, political agendas. We, all we have to offer is Genesis to Revelation. And we must be prepared to give a defense for the hope that we carry. We must be sharp in the word, rightly dividing the word of truth. We can't have ignorant students who are duped by a culture that says it's okay to hook up, just ask for forgiveness. It's okay to live this way. It's okay to have a little sippy sip. And do it. It, no, it's not okay. It's not okay because if you go through the Bible, what you will see from Genesis to Revelation is that God demands holiness and separation. That's in the Bible. And the Bible doesn't care about your feelings, it doesn't care about your opinions either. 
It doesn't care about Troy's opinions. Well, I have an opinion. Well, let me just tell you what I think. If what I think does not match what the Bible says, what I think is false. I don't say that. Like, I say that with humility, man. Like, I say that, like, with intellectual honesty. To say there will be times when I will think a thing and I will have to repent for the thing I thought. If you don't have that mindset, you are not a believer. You can't be. Because Jesus didn't call us Christians. He called us disciples. And disciples entered the narrative with the understanding that we are learning every day. So that means we come into the conversation with, with preconceived ideas from previous experiences and pain, and we carry them into our current moment, and we must be prepared to do what Jesus said. The, the, the first words out of his mouth was, repent. He said, repent. Why? Because you're carrying everything old into the new. Old wine skins, he said. You cannot put new wine in old wine skin. So you have to repent. Change your mind. Get a new under, get a new revelation of truth and grace that's found in an experience with Jesus. You have to. So, the original progressives in the scripture are Adam and Eve. You remember? So they sin. They step. God said don't. Listen, man, if God said don't, just don't. Right? He said don't. God said don't. And they said, oh, oh yeah, cool. I won't. God left. Deception came, and they stepped over. They crossed it. The moment they crossed it, eyes open, they knew they were naked. God comes looking for them. I was afraid. Now, just look, I was afraid. What does the enemy do? He, he, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. But the enemy gives a spirit of fear. I was afraid. I knew I was naked. God doesn't give shame. The enemy does. The moment we crossed, the moment they crossed over the line, shame and fear invaded humanity. It's like, ah. Oh. They took, then, then, then God, you, you, then they start making excuses. This is how you know you. Here's the first indication that you have crossed, you have, you've moved out of the boundary line of God. When you start blaming other people for your sin. Sir. The moment you say it was that woman's fault over there, <laughs> she did it. And that woman said it was that snake's fault over there. He did it. God said, yeah, okay, it's broke, it's broke. Any attempt to alter or improve or improve the boundary set by God is sin. I'll say it again. Any attempt to alter or improve the boundary line set by God is sin. There is no progress to achieve beyond the gospel. The gospel is perfect. Progressive Christianity is a perversion of Christ to gratify and justify sinful appetites. You hear me? You get progressive in your Christianity. You get progressive, you will know. When you start rationalizing your sin, you, are, you have crossed the boundary line and you have become a progressive Christian. Welcome to progressive Christianity. Have you ever done it? Don't look around. Just talk to yourself right now, okay? Have you ever rationalized some sin in your life? Have you ever justified it? Yes, every one of us have, have done it. 
But the moment we do that, that is when we cross over into this world of progressive Christianity. So tonight I want to talk about, there's there's two things I want to address tonight. The first one's fellowship. So I want to I want to talk about the fellowship of the saints and why it needs to be it needs to become a core value once again in the body of Christ. And I want to talk about sex and how culture has moved the fence of sex. So fellowship. Matthew 18, verse 20. It says this, Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Who's, who's Jesus talking to here? He's talking... Say he's talking to me. He's talking to you. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Look at the power of our fellowship. Look at the sacredness of our fellowship. Our fellowship is the revealing of Christ to the world. And our lack of fellowship. When we do not fellowship, Christ cannot be revealed. But when we touch and agree, when we as the church are in fellowship, now fellowship is the word, you all know it, koinonia, they go to camp there all the time. It's the word koinonia. And, and it, its definition is partnership, community, contributory help, participation, sharing in, communion, spiritual fellowship, a fellowship of the Spirit. So, so where we, so just think about this for a moment. Because we have lost, we have lost the fellowship of the early church. We run in, we run out, we barely say hi, we barely connect with one another, we allow ourselves to be divided over trivial things, we are tripping on power, everybody wants to be the boss of everybody else, we got too many chiefs, not enough Indians running around, so we're offended, we're bitter, we're jealous, we're envious, And, and God said, wherever I see all of that, I know there's carnality. And, and, and if I'm the enemy, so what, so what we have done in the church is we have allowed the enemy to come in and to divide us. Because the scriptures say, wherever two or three of us touch and agree. Can, can, you, can you hold this? I know you do. You can hold this <laughs> so this circle of fellowship, think about this. This circle of fellowship has the authority to bind the enemy and reveal Jesus. But if we let Marley grab, grab her and take her away, tell her, whisper in her ear something bad. Don't really whisper nothing bad. Talk bad about David, not me. Right? Takes her away. Now we're just sitting here and we've been weakened. We're weakened. Right? So fellowship, our fellowship 
means the revealing. Our fellowship is Christ. We, we don't, <laughs> this is going to make some of y'all so mad. Maybe not you guys because you're Wednesday night, but uh, this is why uh, some stuff you just don't want to say, you know, but this is why you don't, you're not allowed to be unequally yoked because you, you out here bringing you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So our fellowship, our fellowship, we don't have, we cannot be friends with the world. Oh, I could feel the judgment. I'm going to take you to the word though, that's all I got. 1 John 1, 7. We'll come back. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? We have fellowship. We have koinonia. We can reveal Christ with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us of all our sins. What happens in fellowship? Cleansing. The blood of Jesus covers. In fellowship. 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. James 4.4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the... Go ahead, you can read it, it's okay. Yeah, you can read it. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? Did y'all know that? You're an enemy of God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy to God. Why? Why? In James. Why would James say this? Because, because our fellowship together reveals Christ. That's how important it is that we walk in unity with one another. That's how important it is that we stay connected with one another. The moment we allow ourselves to be fractured, we're weakened. And dare I say, we think we can be friends with the world. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 15 says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I, I'm going to get there. I, know, I, I hear the question. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever. Ephesians 4, 17, 18. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. I said you can't walk as an unbeliever. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. <laughs> Do not be deceived, church. Do not be deceived, church. Do not be deceived, beloved of God. Evil company corrupts good character. Godly fellowship will strengthen you. Ungodly fellowship will weaken you. There is a scandal going on in the kingdom right now. There is a scandal happening right now. And, and I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to say this. What I'm going to say is, you ain't have no business being there. If you had not been there, your character would not be on trial. Because there are some places that we ain't allowed to go to. I'm just telling you straight. You just, you know, I love to laugh like everybody else. I probably like to laugh more than most people. This dude was coming to town. He's an enormous comedian. I looked at Marlon and said, man, that would be so funny. He said, man, we could never go there. God would not allow. I said, you're right. We could never go there. 
Because if we were to walk in there, if I was to walk into that establishment, if you was there, you would see me, you would say, I knew he was a liar. I knew, I knew the witness of the church is weakened because of our fellowship with the world. And we ain't got no business being there. We ain't got no business saying that. We ain't got no business doing that. It's just not allowed. Your light, you and I are light. It becomes work. You wear yourself out trying to turn light on in the world. You will wear yourself out. And, and here's, here's, what I hear, here's what I hear a lot of. Well, I'm going there. Somebody's got to go there to get them saved. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, okay. So, so why you keep going back when they didn't get saved the first time? Why you keep hanging out with them? It didn't, because if you had it like that, they should have came to the Lord by now. You don't need to keep going there. If you had it like that, they would have been set free by now. But we justify it because we say, well, Jesus sat with sinners and Yeah, we say that. And Jesus sat with them. And you know what happened to the sinners when Jesus sat with them? They were sinners no more. They were no longer sinners. They got up from that table and they were transformed. They were changed. Now, just let me ask you, and I'm not telling you not to be, not to evangelize, not to, not to go into all the world and, and save the, I'm not telling you not, I'm saying you should do that, but you, you shouldn't live in the world. You shouldn't make the world your habit. You go in, it's a mission field, you, you, you're the Navy SEAL of God. You go in, you handle your business, and you get out. And you don't go alone. We would avoid a lot of scandal. Fellowship must return to the church. Godly fellowship must return sacred fellowship of the believers that exist to do one thing you exist and I exist to fellowship together to do one thing and that is to glorify Christ in all we do if you are friends with somebody and that friendship keeps you in darkness, in depression, in anxiety, in worry, in fear, if that friendship does that to you, you are unequally yoked, that person is of the world I, because godly fellowship produces Christ. It reveals Jesus. You hang around, we hang around long enough, we know that Christ will be edified, Christ will be glorified, Christ will be manifested. If you find yourself, here's how you check, here's how you check yourself, all right? You check yourself by asking yourself this question. When you're around certain people, do you have to compromise? When you're around certain people, are you afraid? Big people make you feel bigger. Small people make you feel smaller. People of light make chase darkness away within you. People, people of Christ pull you up. People of Christ deposit. If, if you find yourself constantly being the one making deposits and never receiving anything from somebody, people of Christ, when they fellowship, they heal, they mend. We bring mending, we bring healing to one another when we fellowship. If we're, not, if we're not bringing healing to one another and we're, 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 damaged, we're cutting one another, something's wrong. 
Right? So, believers should not be found in the fellowship. Fellowship. Remember, I'm not saying in the, no, you're going to be in the company of unbelievers. You're going to be around unbelievers. I'm saying fellowship. What's fellowship? Remember, what's fellowship? Partnership, covenant, right? Community, participation, communion, spiritual fellowship. God bless you. Spiritual fellowship. Our fellowship, we have to return to fellowship. there's There's a grieve. I'm grieved in the kingdom by this. I'm grieved in the kingdom that we don't feel safe with one another. Because I've never been in the presence of Christ and felt unsafe. Never. I've never been in his presence and felt like somebody was picking my pockets. Never. But there, when I get in certain fellowships, I'm guarded. You are too. Oh, you are. There's certain people you get around. You, you just say, oh, the wall goes up. It's ungodly. It has to stop because the walls are preventing connection. And that connection, whatever you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, I will loose in heaven. But there can be no binding and there can be no loosing if there is walls built around us to keep us safe from the people we should be in fellowship with. This should be the safest family you have. I understand that your uncles and your aunts, your moms and dads, I get it. They don't know Christ. You probably shouldn't feel safe there. But here, my God, this should be the safest place we come. This should be the, this should be the place we run to when, we, when we've made mistakes, when we're ashamed, when we've fallen, when we're hurt, when we're rejected. When we're, we, this is the safest place we must, we must make this the safest place. And we do that with godly fellowship. Godly fellowship keeps you accountable. Godly fellowship won't allow you. It won't allow you to be less than who you're called to be. Right? And godly, godly fellowship, it'll never lie to you. It'll be kind. But godly fellowship will not lie. My brother came to me the other day. Marlon, he came to me. And he told me, he said, Troy, you must do this. Pleaded with me, tears in his eyes. He said, I'm telling you not by my authority. I'm telling you by the blood of the Lamb, the Spirit of God's saying this, Troy. He's crying, crying on my my truck. He's crying to me. He's correcting me. Kind, loving, truthful. You don't love me if you don't tell me the truth. If you're kind to me, if you're kind to me and you lie to me, you hate me. You're too precious in God to be lied to. You're too precious in God to be compromised and say, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay the way you are. You can go ahead. You can go ahead and do that. No, you cannot. I love you too much to lie to you. I tell you the truth. Tears in my eyes, I tell you the truth. I want to say 27, so I gotta go. So, Christ is our fellowship. Let's pray. Come on, stand your feet. Let's, let's, let's close. Let's close. Let's close. Come on, every, every head bowed, every eye closed. Just, just pray this simple prayer with me tonight. Just say, God, fix my fellowship. Yeah. God, I just want you to fix my fellowship. I desire you 
a desire to reveal you, to honor you with my, my fellowship. Therefore, I repent of any partnership with the world, any partnership where I've compromised your presence, any time where I've been intimidated, I repent. I covenant to reestablish biblical fellowship in all areas of my life, my friends, my family, at work, at school. I covenant to return to biblical fellowship, partnership with God. I refuse a gospel that is crossless. I refuse the temptation to rationalize compromise I refuse to make excuses make my fellowship reveal you Jesus I bless your name tonight Lord thank you for bringing us as the church to a place of holiness and reverence and awe the presence of Christ is our highest priority. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Live right. Love everybody. Pray hard. Thank you for coming out tonight. God bless you all. Thank you.